We just want to take this opportunity to thank all of our listeners. We're really excited about this. Now, we have listeners in the United States, but also where else, Mike? Let's see. Canada, Ireland, Iceland, New Zealand, Vietnam, who's counting? That's awesome. That's awesome. So please, please keep listening and please tell your friends about the show and please tweet to us at 15 Minute Film. That's at 15MinFilm on Twitter. And also, if you noticed on the episode descriptions, there's a link where you could leave us a voicemail. So please let us know through Twitter or through the link any movie you want us to do. If you tell us a movie suggestion, we will do it. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks. Hi, welcome to 15-Minute Film Fanatics. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. And this week we're going to be talking about 2007's There Will Be Blood, uh, the great movie directed by Paul Thomas Anderson and also written by him as well, based upon the novel by Upton Sinclair. And our first segment, we always talk about our big takeaways. You know, what did we what did we come away with from watching the movie again for this time for the podcast? So, Mike? So, to jump right in, just a quick anecdote. The first time that I ever saw this movie... I actually watched it in my dorm room. I had a DVD and I had incorrectly hooked up the DVD player that I was used to using to watch it. So I actually watched the movie by accident in black and white and didn't notice a thing. I, I just thought it was supposed to be that way. I had forgotten from trailers or whatever that, that it was in color. And I just thought that the movie is so perfect in the grimness of its vision that it came off beautifully in black and white. And then of course it was pointed out to me by my roommate that who had seen in theaters that it was in color. So I switched the wires and then watched the whole thing over again. It's funny you say that because if you know this, um, you know, the movie Logan, the superhero movie with Hugh Jackman, if you buy the Blu-ray, there's a feature called Logan Noir. And you could watch the whole thing in black and white. And my son said it's really, really great black and white. Yeah, I feel the same way about There Will Be Blood. Like I said, it's it's a perfectly grim film. And I think that even there's some beautiful uh, coloration. Like yeah. uh, when, when some of the oil fires... You know, and some of the things remind me of kind of John Houston shots of the uh, or, or John Ford, John Ford, John Ford shots yeah. of the uh, the wild Monument Valley. Yeah, right. It looks it looks terrific. So so watching it again, you know, it, it's hard to come across come across a performance as good as as good as Daniel Day Lewis is, where somebody completely dominates a movie and every single frame that he's in. It's funny you said John Houston because he's imitating John Houston in right. the movie. I mean, con- like he's exactly, he talks like him and I, and I looked it up and it turns out that he actually did that deliberately. But what stuck me this time about watching it is that um, it's the plot is not the classic, somebody wants something, but somebody can't get it. And here are the complications, right? The, the plot of the movie is somebody wants something and he gets it. And then he says, I'm finished. And, and whether he wants to become, you know, an animal at the end, we could talk about later throwing bowling pins. But certainly um, that's that's a very, very interesting take, which made me think on a larger scale, it's fascinating that this movie was ever financed, that it was ever made, that anyone put up the money for it. And I'm glad they did. I mean, it, it's great that they did because it's a, it's a masterpiece. But it's really, really funny where uh, it's not on paper, it wouldn't seem like the kind of movie you'd put up a lot of money no, for. No, I wrote down here in my notes, it's life without setbacks. <laughs> what if what if you just got everything that you wanted in order but it was it was absolutely your humanity was slipping away from you which is really where the the tension is in the film but really if, if you had to diagram the movie it's a downward shoot straight into hell yeah it's not um it's the classic thing you know uh what, you know what what have you gained if you if you gain the whole world and lose yourself in the process so he loses himself in the process but it you know i don't think he has any moment of regret at the end no, Do you? I, I mean we're getting I, ahead of the ending, but but I mean I don't think at the end. What, I mean, has he learned anything? Sure, I don't. I don't think he's learned a thing. And part of part of the experience of watching the movie, I think, is that we learn a lot of things about Daniel. We can see all the times that that people in the movie are reaching out to Daniel to try to reason with him, 
uh, but he cannot be reasoned with. Right. The it's, closest is probably the, the guy that imitates his brother. Right. He's probably the closest like link to him or other than HW. But, um, you know, where, where he tries to make him say, like, well, you know, he goes, I'm a good worker. I, I, it's OK. I had to take this chance and make believe I was your brother. And uh, we know where that gets him. Yeah, I, I think just that there's there's no setbacks on the slide down the down the shoot, which is just utterly perfect in, in watching this movie. There's, and in lesser hands, there would have been a moment. I mean, I think there's a little moment we'll talk about probably where he has, he has the memory of himself with HW when they were younger, but there's no soliloquy. There's no moment. There's no epiphany. Right. It's like watching a director play a game of chicken is how I felt, which is, you know, you, you know, in with the, the usual, audience, with the audience, you know, in the usual Hollywood formula that you're going to get to a, a moment of reflection and you're, you're like two and a half hours into this movie thinking, surely we got to make a left turn somewhere, but we're not, you're we're just going to smash right into it. And it just time. ends. It just ends. You know, it doesn't stop it. it, it it's, it's fascinating about that. Um, another thing that struck me was how terrific the music was, how much it's like the music in the shining when you have those high pitch violins. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize until watching it for today that how well the music matches what's going on at Daniel's heart. So when he gets excited, the music gets excited. When he, if you watch it again, it's fascinating how how well the music fits what he's feeling. I had never made that link. I also um, love there's certain point of view shots where we right. see things from Daniel's point. When of he's view. running towards the fire. When he's running towards the fire. Also, when he when he finds the the silver, he's looking yeah. for the load of silver. There the first she time. is. It, it takes you 20 minutes to figure out what's happening in the movie because none of it is explained. It's never, you know, you never get that scene uh, right up front where somebody says, I'm gonna go out west. hope you find some silver, Daniel, <laughs> yeah. just a, a man in a hole, just struggling and then find something you don't even know what it is. Oh, there's our first segment, All right? We're going to pause here because we just want to tell you something. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. So let me explain. The first point is it's free. Yeah. Second, they have all the tools that you need to create, record, and edit your podcast right on your phone or your laptop. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other places. You pick up sponsorships, you can make money from your podcast, and there's no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Always be closing, Mike. Always be closing. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome back. So in the second segment, we like to talk about a key scene or a revealing moment. I know, Dan, that you had one. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of moments in this movie. But one thing watching it uh, again for today, I was struck by the image when after H.W.'s father is killed, there's a scene where H.W. and Daniel are on the train and the camera's right in front of them. And um, H.W. puts his hand up to Daniel Day-Lewis's face. And for a moment, they kind of like smile at each other. And it's this very like Bedford Falls, um, you know, uh, Norman Rockwell moment. And the reason that that struck me isn't just because it's like, oh, because it's, it's saccharine, even though I don't think it's saccharine. I think it's an actual touching moment is that you said before that Daniel descends into hell and we watch it. And that's, what's fascinating. A portrait of this guy losing his, his humanity, but he does have that moment at the end when he remembers after HW comes and says, he's going to marry, marry mm -hmm. uh, Sunday. So I think that Daniel does become an animal throwing bowling pins, uh, like a giant spider crawling around the bowling alley. But at the same time, there is that core of humanity left in him. Like he, he doesn't become Dr. Evil or something like that. There is that moment. I think, at the end, when you get the memory of him horsing around with H.W. by the oil derrick, 
that was supposed to take place, you know, 10 or 15 years earlier. It is kind of a moment where, because that's clearly what Daniel's remembering, right? Mm -hmm. That He's remembering that moment. So he does, he has some level of self-awareness, which I think makes the whole awful um, weight of the movie even that much more awful. Yeah, I think he truly can't help himself is, is what yeah, He wishes when, he could stop. Yeah, he, he, he drinks so much to numb it. And I think I think that the moment when he tells H.W. the, the story right, of right. his origin, that you're supposed to understand that his mouth is kind of running on auto, that he, <laughs> yeah, he, right. he truly cannot help himself. But you're again, my competition now. Yeah, you're my competition. Again, it's just like a runaway. Yeah, it's like a runaway train. Yeah. Right. Can't, can't stop. So what about yours? What was your what was your moment? So gonna, Which, now, now the viewers should know that when we went to watch the movie again this week, I received a text from Mike that said, "You're going to know my scene in a second. Don't steal it. That's my scene." And I did guess it correctly, but I'll let Mike introduce the scene. Go so ahead. I'm going to cheat, and I and I have two, but they both take place with Eli in church on on Sunday. So okay. the first is a beautiful scene where Eli cures the woman with the arthritis. Yes, and we are meant to watch the sermon through the eyes of Daniel, knowing all the time what Eli is up to yeah. and understanding that it's a dramatic performance. And I think it's one time where as the viewer, we step out and we have the same appreciation for Eli in character that you have for Daniel Day-Lewis. Yes. Just dominate, right. dominating. You're movie. watching an actor act. Exactly. As, as, as Daniel acts when he gives the speech about this means education and exactly. this means your families. Right. That's exactly right. And I just think... It's unbelievable. Yeah. I, I have I have nothing to say for it except that it's it's get out of your ghost. Get out of your ghost. And after when he he tells him, yeah. So the but the second scene is a little bit more revealing, which is Daniel comes back later, and this time instead of as a viewer, he's part of the performance. So he's caused an accident, or one of his workers have have caused an accident, and Eli forces him to apologize to the to right. the congregation and essentially to be rebaptized, and he's has him repeat or say all these platitudes but one of them is the the famous lines that say i've abandoned my boy say it louder he louder said, he said hw away and i think that you know i don't want to belabor the the metaphor and make a too close a pun but it's a gusher i mean oh, there, yeah, there's, absolutely. there's emotion underneath and it's just that one it's yeah. that one peg right in yeah. the dirt that hits that hits him and he can't bear to to say it out loud. So right. I think it really connects with your moment, which is, which, which is, is why he does have that moment of release when he starts screaming, like I have abandoned my child. I have abandoned my boy. He's not, he's not putting on a show there for Eli, for the congregation. He's really, I think screaming that because he knows it's true. Yeah. He's, because when he leaves him on the train, remember he walks away from the train. There's that great shot at the kids screaming mm -hmm. and he won't turn around because he knows he's going to be yelling. He's become deaf. Yes, that's yeah. right. He's become deaf to the, the scream of a child. Right. So I think that um, when he screams, I have abandoned my child, but of course, when it's over to save his own face, Daniel says, now there's a pipeline. He says, now we have the pipeline. Like I, he, kind of, he tries to shrug it off as, well, I had to play the game. I had to put on a good show for everybody, right? But it wasn't just a show because he really did believe it. Yes. So I think that there's that moment where, or to put it another way, Daniel gets in character, right? He's going to play the, the father. And it's, I think it's yeah. a lot about these characters acting. But I think that he's lost himself yeah. in the role, you know, and Again, his brother, the guy who pretends to be his brother, is right. acting in every. Yeah, the movie's playing. very much about people playing roles to get what they want. But this, I think that Daniel loses himself in the role of the, yeah. the father, and that's the moment where it really comes out. Well, that's funny because it's like they're method actors, you can call that. Brando hated that phrase, method acting. He thought you should say your lines and just do what a character would do. There's a segment, but let me finish. But that's a great idea is that everybody in the movie is acting to some degree. And to go on further on Brando, Brando once said he learned from Stella Adler that everybody acts all day long to get what they want 
and good actors just make themselves aware of the process. And when you watch There Will Be Blood through that lens, it's very, very true. Maybe the only one who doesn't act is H.W. Or maybe, no, you know what he does? You know what his performance is? What? When he, when he lights the room on fire. Right. <laughs> when he lights the room on fire. I mean, that's his performance, right? So everybody's acting to get what they want in this movie and, and to, to different ends, all right? Okay, we'll see you soon for segment three. All right. So in the third segment, we'd like to talk about the end of the movie or the title or other big takeaways. And Mike, I know you have something you're, you're burning to say about this, the end of this movie. Go. I am. So I just want to touch on the last line where Daniel says, I'm finished. And I think a lot of people feel like Daniel's commenting on himself in some way. He's saying that I've, I've reached the bottom. That can't possibly be it. No, that's There's not no true. reading of the film in which, in which that could be the case. He's walking around spider-like, picking up random pieces of steak. <laughs> And taking bites, I'm finished just means for the butler to come down and remove the body, which the, I think that there's a lot of viewers who think also that Daniel's like going to jail or something. He's not. He's not going to jail. One hundred percent is. is Eli's going to vanish. He's created. He's created a world, and the film has created a world in which he could literally club somebody to death in his own in his own home and just keep right on rolling in his own private right. bowling alley. I'm. I'm finished means. I'm finished with yeah. this. Thanks very much. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think if I were um, maybe uh, 13 and I had to write an essay on it, I would write a whole paragraph on I'm finished <laughs> and I'd have some like great reason for it, but it's totally out of character for Daniel to have this epiphany. Cause we said before he has no epiphany. It's a straight slide except for a couple little hiccups with HW um, that he has there in the scene before he kills uh, Eli, but certainly it's not a, uh, it's not a moment. So speaking of Eli, let's talk about Eli's return, how great yeah. it is when he comes back with the cross on. So, I've been working in radio. It reminded me of, um, I know you uh, like uh, the works of Cormac McCarthy. I do. Now, did you think of, I don't know if you thought of Eli in the road, the father and the son be a character named Eli. No, I Who's this kind of like wandering prophet and stuff. And he says in the book, he says, um, there is no God and we are his prophets. And when I was watching this uh, movie again for, Today's episode, I kept thinking of that line, there is no God and we are his prophets, because I was wondering what your take was on this. Does Eli actually believe his own BS? Is there a point in Eli's life where when he comes back to Daniel, I've made bad investments, but I'm hoping to go into, into, into Hollywood and stuff. Um, do you think that Eli believes he's a faith healer or do you think it's 100% show? No, I think it's 100% show. I think that what we think of Daniel who actually has a kid and the successful business. I think in a way you're meant to think that he's rock bottom humanity. And this is Paul Thomas Anderson saying, but wait, there's more. And there's one level beneath Daniel, which is, <laughs> which is where Eli is. And I think that you're meant you put to him as one level right, beneath him. Yeah. And I think you're meant to see them run in parallel. Meaning yeah. Eli, Eli is what Daniel would be, but with, with no success. And with no with no power, yeah. he even he even wants to be as bad as Daniel, but can't manage it. Right. Uh, and so, no, I don't think that there's any point where he thinks he's had a third revelation or whatever. I think that I am the Church of the Third Revelation, <laughs> which is true. He is. He's. I think he is the final vision of uh, what again what would happen if you ran humanity all the way into the ground. We've we've talked about his spider like move, movements. I think that. There's a lot of movement in the film that makes me physically uncomfortable. We talked about that first scene yeah. where he's trying to dig silver out. And instead of cutting away to the part where he's get the, got the silver, Paul Thomas Anderson makes you sit in it for right. like, just sit in the hole for three minutes. The movie's incredibly physical. Like when he, how about when he rubs Eli's face in the mud oh. and then Eli sits at the table when 
when um, Daniel has to dig the grave for the guy who made the, the, the movie's incredibly physical. You get a real sense of how physically hard these people are working. So let's go back to your thing about Eli, you know, as one notch below Daniel, because at least Daniel makes no um, pretense about what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He says, we're going to give the quail prices, not oil prices and things. We're, this is, um, I have a competition in me. I want no one else to succeed. He says, I hate most people. There's times that I look at people and I see nothing worth liking. I want to earn enough money so I can get away from everyone. So at least he's open about it. But Eli is, he's like a Flannery O'Connor character who does that all under the guise of goodness and love and he's going to heal other people. And Daniel, to his credit, sees through him. Yes. And I think that Daniel can see everybody but himself. I think that there's times when people are speaking earnestly to him and the walls that he's built around himself just don't let the truth penetrate but at least it's spoken to him i don't see anybody giving anything to eli and also that the grimness of his home i think is also right. meant to San, well, it's like san simeon it's like the end of citizen kane right I mean, or or you know i'm sure someone out there thinks that he's supposed to be nixon because there's a bowling alley and nixon had a bowling alley put in the white house see don't you see he's richard nixon um but i think he's uh <laughs> he's at a hell of a level i think that they're both sides of the two you know daniel and eli strike me as two sides of the same coin to use a terrible cliche um because it's great how Daniel makes him repeat what happened in the church at the end when he says, say, say I'm a false prophet. I got a superstition. And it's a same, and he starts to scream and get into it. I think the same way that, that um, Daniel had to get into it when he admitted abandoning his child. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the two scenes are meant to mirror one right. another. And I think that here's what I mean when I say that Eli is a level lower, which is that I think Eli after that scene has felt that he has conquered Daniel. Yes. And, but at the end, Daniel says, now that you've done it, I'm going to conquer you. And that's, yeah. you know, he's squawking and running around saying, we're, but we were friends, Daniel. I I'm your we were, friend, Daniel. I thought we were friends. And you can see on his face what's what's going to happen. It's I think it's great when he brings over the drinks, when he, he tries to, to sauce him up because he's already drunk. And Daniel Day-Lewis says, no, thank you. No, thank you. Like, it's the one time he's refused a drink in the last 15 years. And he says, no, thank you. No, thank you. Because he's he's going to show he's superior to Eli by not, not accepting the drink in his own house. Well, right. I think that we've hit the end of this segment, so I guess the only thing I have to say is I'm finished. Hey, so if you like the podcast, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You could also follow the show on Twitter at 15MinuteFilm. That's 1-5-M-I-N-Film. Tweet us or drop us a line for possible titles you'd like to hear us cover. And thanks for listening.